You're listening to Fuel Radio, inspiration and training to fuel your day. Now here's your host, Rod Jans. All right, looks like we're live on Facebook. Hello, everybody on Facebook. Although no one's there yet, <laughs> if they're listening to the, if they're I'm listening to this, coffee with eggnog right now. So yeah. delicious, so good. Mm. <laughs> Mid-November eggnog coffee. <laughs> I was just telling David about a, a Facebook page that uh, a friend of mine and I started called Christmas Coffee. If you want to check it out, you can. <laughs> the only rule is you're not allowed to drink coffee with eggnog in it prior to November 30th. <laughs> I'm going to be honest with you. I never knew that anyone even did that. I did not know that was a thing. We drink eggnog, <laughs> but I didn't know anybody put it in their coffee. So okay. Well, eggnog lattes are included in that. That's, okay, that's part enough. of it. The... <laughs> I've heard of those, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Right on. So before we get going here, or we're already kind of going, uh, I'll give a quick introduction to David. Uh, David Rendall. Rendell, uh, how do I pronounce your name? Like kind of the second time, Rendell. Yeah, Rendell. Rendell. Okay, there we go. You threw me off with your with your media page because it says no one knows how to pronounce it properly. So that's right. <laughs> Who's made it his life mission to be hilarious and helpful? He's a stand-up comedian with a doctorate in management a class clown turned leadership professor who went from disrupting classes to teaching classes to disrupting companies and conferences around the world. I'll just skip down to the bottom here. David has a, doc a doctorate in organizational leadership as well as a graduate degree in psychology. He's the author of four books on leadership and discovering our strengths through our weaknesses. So welcome to the show, David. Thank you. Happy to be here. Yeah, I'm excited to have you. As I was looking through your your uh, media sheet and and looking at our possible topics, uh, it sounds great. One thing I I I left out of your introduction is that you were a, a nonprofit executive. So what what was your involvement there? What what did you do in the nonprofit? Uh, my first uh, job out of college was helping people with disabilities to get job opportunities. So kids in special education to get training opportunities out in the real world to places like Target and um, all state insurance companies and things like that. And um, then uh, moved on to helping adults with developmental disabilities, uh, things like Down syndrome and things like that, and um, creating job opportunities for them. So we started businesses and we partnered with businesses to, to, to find jobs for people. And um, yeah, and that's part of where I kind of learned this lesson. The only thing that really matters when you're trying to help somebody with a disability to get a job is what can they do and what are they good at? Or I mean, what, what do they like and what are they good at? Hmm. And um, that's pretty much true for anybody with or without a disability. We spend a lot of time thinking we're going to fix people and change people and turn people around. But really, what most of what matters um, is how do we help people do what they like and what they're good at and, and not try to fix and change people and try to turn them into someone else. Cool. I, I worked for a nonprofit for a while and we did, um, we worked with people that were coming out of recovery or prison or, uh, or had mental illness. We helped them yeah. find jobs. So yeah, yeah, I've been, been involved in that arena myself. So cool. Yeah. That's awesome. So um, yeah, I'd like to know <laughs> one of the questions right off the top is uh, what is the freak factor? One of the things you espouse is that um, and we'll talk about it later is it, I'm sure it has something to do with this, but not focusing so much on our weaknesses or, or do not, I'm sorry, I said that wrong. Um, not avoiding our weaknesses or, uh, yeah. and rather embracing them. Yeah. <laughs> so, but before we get there, what, what is the freak factor all about? 
Well, that's the freak factor. So the freak factor is about how I got in trouble my whole life because I couldn't sit still and be quiet and do what I was told. And I was in trouble at school and in trouble at home and eventually in trouble at work. Um, and everybody told me the same thing. If you could learn to sit still, be quiet and do what you're told, you'll be successful someday. If you can't, you won't be successful someday. Um, and in fact, mostly they said that the negative, if you can't fix that, you're going to be unsuccessful. And uh, when I grew up, I got um, ended up getting work uh, standing up, not sitting down, talking, not being quiet and running my own business, not doing what other people told me to do. So I became a professional speaker. I was a college professor at one point. Um, I was in leadership. My job was to uh, set a direction. My job was not to do what I was told. My job was to stand up, not to sit down. My job was to move, not to be still. Um, and even now I do Ironman triathlons and ultra marathons. I, uh, I'm engaged in activities that reward you for hyperactivity. Um, and so I just <laughs> discovered that all of my weaknesses were strengths and started wondering if other people had weaknesses that are strengths. I called it the freak factor because that was one of my nicknames growing up because I was so tall and so thin and unusual. So people would call me the freak, usually in a negative way, but I decided to start using it in a positive way. And uh, so I just started seeing that other people had weaknesses that were strengths. And I think we all have weaknesses that are strengths. And uh, I found so many examples and I wanted to share the story. So I wrote a book and developed an assessment. And uh, that's what I speak about all over the world is how we can have better relationships, how we can manage people better, how we can have a better life and a better career, how we can run our business more effectively if we just understood that the things we're trying to fix about ourselves and about pretty much everyone around us are actually their best qualities and we should be embracing and amplifying them instead of trying to fix them. Mm embracing and amplifying them. I like that. I, I like the whole twist on it. I mean, it, it seems to me like, it, and just speaking personally, you know, like we try to avoid our weaknesses or we try to fix our weaknesses and so much of our life can go into that and professional development and all kinds of stuff yeah. almost plays on that, doesn't it? You know? Yeah. yeah. Yeah, for sure. So what have you found? Like you say, you have so many examples of that. Can yeah. you just share Sure. Well, yeah, you know, what's interesting yeah. is it's a perfect lead in because you actually said something, you know, without knowing it was the perfect lead in. You said you used to work with people in addiction and recovery. So the first example that I saw after I had the idea and I'm like, I wonder if this is true. It seems to be true for me. I wonder if it's true for other people, because it doesn't matter if it's my story. It matters if it's a if it's if it's uh, other people's story as well. So I was watching uh, ESPN Sports Center and they talked about this guy named Todd Crandall and he was an addict. Uh, he, he had played hockey. Um, he had been a successful athlete and, uh, he got involved in drugs and decided he liked drugs more than he liked anything else on earth and gradually, you know, lost his home and, and lost everything that he had and was living on the streets and hitting the, you know, the rock bottom we've all heard about. And when he hit rock bottom, he decided I got to stop this. And, uh, he started doing Ironman triathlons. And the way they explained it, I thought was perfect, is that Todd is still an addict. He's just addicted to Ironmans instead of addicted to drugs. And Todd <laughs> is still abusing his body. He's just abusing it through athletics instead of abusing it with alcohol and drugs. And Todd still goes too far and does too much and is obsessed, but he's just obsessed with something that's at least relatively healthy instead of self-destructive. And uh, even he started a nonprofit, I believed it was called Racing for Recovery, but I might be forgetting the name because I've, I've, I've met a bunch of other people along the way with similar missions. And uh, he started a nonprofit and they went bankrupt because he was trying to help so many people. 
Um, Todd's never going to take it easy. He's never going to relax. He's never going to be well-balanced and well-rounded. He's always going to go too far and do too much. He's always going to be an addict. The only question is, is he going to be addicted to something positive or something negative? Hmm. And that's a great example of the freak factor. Todd doesn't need to dial it back. He needs to ramp it up, but in a direction that's positive instead of in a direction that's self-destructive. But when most people do, um, especially with addicts as they come in with a different message, right? You've got to moderate, you've got to reduce, you've got to adjust, you've got to slow down, you've got to be normal, you've got to be well-balanced and well-rounded, you have to find moderation. Todd didn't find moderation. Um, he still takes it to the extreme, he just does it in a different arena that is positive for his particular uh, weakness, strength combination um, instead of negative for that. Um, and so that's an example. And I've, I've met so many people along the way. I have a good, a good friend named Henry and he, he goes to the Boston marathon and runs the Boston quad. So he goes to the, uh, uh, end of the course and he runs to the beginning of the course. And then he runs from the beginning of the course to the end of the course. And then he runs from the end of the course to the beginning of the course. And then he runs the race with everyone else. Mm. And so his last 26 miles is with everyone else, but he's already run uh, 77, 78 miles before that. And yeah. uh, he's a recovering addict and he knows he's always going to do too much and go too far. And running is his therapy and running is his addiction and running is his life. And it's a way of staying away from those negative influences. Um, and so Henry still does too much and goes too far. Uh, he knows he, one drink is too many and 20 is not enough. Um but it's the same thing. One mile's too many and 20 is not enough. Um, it's just that running isn't destroying his life and destroying his relationships. Um, it fills him up and it renews him and he uses that as a way to connect with other people. It's a positive addiction. Um, and there's so many people with similar stories when it comes to addiction. So that's an example of somebody embracing and amplifying who they are and just looking to move it in a different direction instead of saying, I'm fundamentally bad because I love the I need that rush. I need those chemicals. I need that constant um, intensity. Uh, I need that stimulation. There's nothing wrong with that. It's just how can I direct that in a positive instead of a negative way? Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think one of the things I saw in working with people in that organization was people kind of had, they had momentum in one direction or they had momentum in an, uh, the other direction. They had momentum either in a way that was going to destroy their lives or they had momentum in a way that was going to build and yeah. uplift their yeah. lives and, uh, and uplift others, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It kind of makes me think of one of my children who was super independent and emotional and uh, self, you know, had a lot of willpower, you know, a lot of self-will. And we just, we just kind of thought, you know what, this, this, someday this is going to be a good thing. So we sought to, you know, channel it so that we could function as a family and keep her safe and all that kind of stuff. But we didn't want to squelch that. Like, yeah, and today no. she's, an, she's this amazing independent, you know, she moved out as soon as she could at 19, she finished high school a year early and has become this amazing person, you know? And, yeah, no, that's a per that's a perfect example. One of the, I have an assessment where you can pick your strengths and pick your weaknesses and see that they're the same quality. There's just a negative and positive way of describing it. Mm -hmm. And one of them is that someone can be stubborn and we can be frustrated with that. You called it self-will. There's a lot of ways to talk about it, but Stubborn is the critical way that we talk about it, the weakness side. Yeah. Uh, but that's also persistence, right? That's the strength. 
Mm-hmm. And like you said, we don't want to squelch that, but oftentimes we do because when someone's being persistent with us, we call it stubbornness. We want them to be persistent in life as an adult with other people, but right now we want them to do what they're told and follow our rules and not fight with us and not argue with us and let things go, etc. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually takes a lot of maturity. And that's what I teach people is we have to be able to say, I don't like this right now, but it's not bad. And this will be a very positive thing for this person. It already is. And it will be even more positive for them in the future. So I don't want to break them of that. I don't want to try to straighten them up. I need to recognize this is part of their unique inclination. And how do I foster that instead of trying to tear it down? And so you're hundred percent right. And it starts with seeing that that negative quality is also a positive quality. That thing that's frustrating you or bothering you is also a a very valuable characteristic. And that it's our job as parents, as leaders, as managers, as spouses, as partners, as friends, to not see it as our job to overhaul people's lives and personalities, but to see those upsides and then to see those directions in which they can go where they can take advantage of who they are um, Mm -hmm. and actually amplify those things. It's making me think of acceptance. Like I've done some recovery work myself and, you know, one of my favorite sayings is whatever you resist persists. <laughs> and, you know, some of it, I think a healthy recovery is accepting that those urges and those kinds of things are there, you know, like you have these. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, step, uh, I have a framework in the book, uh, that kind of walk people through how they would use it. And step mm-hmm. one is awareness. You need to know what your strengths and weaknesses are. But once you know that most of the time we choose, we move to adaptation or adjustment. Okay. Well, what's wrong with me and how do I fix it? For me, step two, isn't adjustment. It's not adaptation. It's exactly what you just said. It's acceptance. Mm-hmm. This is who I am. It's not going to change that much. I don't fundamentally, I'm not going to fundamentally change my personality. I don't need to, because it's not broken. It's not damaged. I'm not fundamentally flawed. So this is who I am. How do I build on that instead of how do I try to tear that apart and recreate something brand new? So the second thing after knowing who we are is accepting that that is who we are instead of thinking there's something wrong with that, or there's something we need to do to that. Um, And then we move on to appreciation, seeing that it's not just, I don't just accept myself but actually see that value. It's more than just, well, I guess this is who I am. I wish it was different maybe, but I guess this is just all there is. It's that real appreciation. Uh, There's a guy named Paul Orfala and he got uh, kicked out of four different schools because he had ADHD and dyslexia. Mm -hmm. Then he got fired uh, from most of his jobs on the first day, not just fired, but on the first day. (laughs) Then he went to work for his dad and got fired by his dad. (laughs) And then he started his own company called Kinko's and he sold it to FedEx for $2.4 billion. Oh yeah. (laughs) And he really models, he models appreciation. He said, I think everyone should have dyslexia. Right? Mm. He sees the upside so much. They asked him if we could make a pill that would cure dyslexia, would you take it? And he said, absolutely not. Yeah, absolutely not. Because when you fixed my weakness, you would destroy my strength. If you took away my dyslexia, you'd take away part of who I am. And mm-hmm. so that's beyond acceptance to appreciation being like, not just this is who I am, but this is who I am. And that's fantastic. And mm-hmm. if we can really get to that point, it really starts to change things because now we're starting to embrace and we're on the verge of amplifying those things about ourselves. Because if it was bad, why would I amplify it? If it was mm-hmm. bad, why would I turn up the volume on it? Mm-hmm. It isn't until we can appreciate it that we think, hey, what if I shared even more of this with the world? What if I developed even more of this in myself instead of dialing it back? What if I turned it up? And you've probably seen a lot of that, a lot of this since you've been you know, talking and, and espousing this message uh, that, you know, when you make people feel bad for who they are, 
that creates shame and that just yeah. creates a, a, a horrible cycle, you know, where people yeah. are probably doing all kinds of things because they're ashamed of, of who they are and what they, yeah. what their urges and what they want to do and how they're made. Like we're, you're basically fun, saying fundamentally there's something wrong with you. Yeah, and, when uh, we focus on people's weaknesses and try to fix them and they believe that we're right, then they focus on their weaknesses and try to fix them and start feeling fundamentally broken and damaged. Mm -hmm. And that's not a platform for moving forward. And so it's we need to see those strengths in other people, but we also need to communicate that. We need to tell people about the strengths we see in them. And oftentimes, again, that happens by seeing that the weakness is also a strength, that there's an upside that everyone else is missing. There's an advantage that looks like a disadvantage. And when we do that, it really changes people because that's actually the subtitle of the book is discovering uniqueness by flaunting weakness. And you just talked about shame. Hmm. Flaunting means to parade without shame. It means to be unapologetic hmm. about who we are. So if you can go from being ashamed to flaunting who you are, to being so proud of it that there's no way you would try to hide it and you're not going to apologize for it, that's the process that we're looking for. Cool. Cool. So I got to ask you, it's, it's on my mind right now, but just tell me about the pink. <laughs> if people yeah, are so listening, they can't, if yeah. people are listening, they can't see this, but I'm, I'm, I'm looking at David right now. He's got pink earphones, pink glasses, and a pink t-shirt. <laughs> Where does, what's the pink all about? <laughs> yeah. So the pink started just because I was being silly and I tell funny stories in my talks about how I have three daughters and even the dog's a girl and I live <laughs> with all women and they're gradually turning me into a woman. And so I tell these funny stories about what it's like to be a guy who grew up with brothers and grew up playing sports and hanging around with other guys. And now I live in a house with all ladies for the last basically 24 years <laughs> and uh, all the changes that happen when you, when you live in that environment. And so I started wearing pink just as kind of a symbol of that. And I started wearing a little more and a little more. And then I started wearing it for other reasons as well, that, um, that we can be different, that we can, we can defy the conventions that society has about what colors people wear and what colors um, match which gender you know people say oh well it's not just women that wear pink but when they do a gender reveal party for a baby it's pink for girls and it's blue for boys and when you go to the store it's pink for girls and it's blue for boys and uh, so I wear a lot of pink to also defy those conventions and to show people you can dress how you want to dress and be who you want to be and that the rules we think are rules are often not rules at all and there's no consequences for breaking them in fact it's not a rule so you can't possibly break it and it also does exactly what you just did, uh, which gets people's attention and gets people asking me what I'm up to. And as a self-employed entrepreneur, as a business owner, as a speaker who has a message to share, it's wonderful to live a life in such a way that people walk up to you and say, hey, Dave, what are you up to? Hey, Dave, tell me your story. This pink is interesting. Talk to me about it. And so it's turned into just kind of a mindset of um, how can we be unusual? How can we be different? How can we stand out? And how can we embrace uniqueness instead of, again, trying to fit in, trying to conform, trying to be like everyone else, trying to let other people define what success looks like? How's your message received in like corporate circles or in some businesses where, you know, the system is everything and, um, you know, the, the <laughs> you must freak some business owners out or some managers out because yeah, that's the, other side the goal the is to make factor. everybody to conform, right? And, and do yeah. everything according to the system. So you'd think so. And that's the way those things are often set up. But mostly, most of the time, the people that work in those environments are actually hungry for something like this because they see the limits of that system, right? They, mm -hmm. They're inside of it and they see that it can only go so far. And they're frustrated by a lack of, um, 
differentiation. They're frustrated by a lack of creativity. They're frustrated by a lack of diversity. They're frustrated by, and so um, it's oftentimes those companies that bring me in. I mean, just south of you uh, in Seattle, in, in Bellevue, I've spoken multiple times for, to Microsoft, for example, and they liked it mm -hmm. so much, they had me back to speak to even more uh, of their people. Um, so oftentimes, the more I've spoken to the military, uh, you talk about a conventional sort of organization that, I mean, you wear uniforms and you follow the rules and all those kinds of things. Um, the more conventional the organization, oftentimes the more hungry they are for a message like this because mm. they're looking for, in fact, one of my clients is called the Institute for Defense and Business. And they hired me specifically kind of because of the pink and because of the freak factor message. They're like, every other training class we do is all like normal, standard, <laughs> yeah. systematized, um, exactly what you would expect, predictable, smart, talented speakers and communicators who tell people the conventional wisdom and the way things should be and how you should do things. And we wanted to have at least one speaker that mixed it up and wasn't wearing a suit and wasn't wearing dark blue and <laughs> a red tie. Um, and yeah. And so they said, we brought, we brought you in for that. And so I'm kind of like the change up, mm. um, in their program. And so that's exactly why they hired me because they're in a military corporate industrial complex sort of situation. And yet they're trying to help people change. They're trying to help people innovate and they recognize that they can't do that using the same strategies. So it's very, very valuable. And the same thing happens between countries. People come to me and say, uh, our country could use more of this. In our country, we don't let people be different. We try to force people to conform. We don't have an educational system that allows people to be unique. We need mm -hmm. you to come talk to us. Um, and so it's almost like the more that a country or a company isn't doing these things, the more attractive it is um, for people that are already doing it or are open to that. It's not, it's still revolutionary because most people don't know that weaknesses are strengths. They don't see that piece, but there are environments where people are far more open to being different, being unique, being unusual, taking a different path. Um, and so those people still like it, but it's not as revolutionary. And so it's oftentimes the more conventional groups that are more open to it, or at least know they need it and are willing to listen to it. And although certainly there's going to be a lot of resistance from some people in those environments. I'm trying to pick one, uh, you know, like how could you, how can the freak factor help people get better as blank. You know, <laughs> we talked about sure. parenting a little bit. I keep having in the back of my mind, boys in school, you know, like yeah. you mentioned that you were hyperactive and I was a bit of a class clown too. And yeah. um, was always getting in trouble. Uh, a, a lot of that was, I guess, kind of more out of rebellion or whatever, but sure. Um, I don't know what's on your mind today. Like uh, how can, well, how can flaunting few, weakness? Yeah, there, yeah. There's a few main ways that it, that it can help. Parenting is certainly a big one. That's why I wrote the freak factor for kids. Cause even when I was speaking to executives, I was speaking to managers, speaking in these corporate environments or speaking to entrepreneurs, the message was, this will help you run your business. This will help your people be more productive. If you'll see that their weaknesses are strengths, if you'll tap into those strengths, if you'll help them to be more of who they are, instead of trying to turn them into robots. Mm -hmm. And, um, and then the feedback I would get afterwards was that was great and I'm gonna use that at work, but I've got this kid with dyslexia. I've got this kid with ADHD. I've got this kid with autism. I got this kid who's being bullied. What do you have for them? And so I wrote the Freak Factor for Kids 
mm-hmm. um, to help with that. So parenting is a big one, but it's also managing your own life and your own career. You know, are you accepting yourself? Are you aware of your strengths and weaknesses? Do you really appreciate who you are? Like you said, personal development. Do you think that personal development is fixing those weaknesses? And so just let's take personal development as an example. It's not. You're not going to be better at work. You're not going to be happier and more fulfilled by fixing those weaknesses. It's going to be by tapping into that corresponding strength, building on that corresponding strength. And so the the other part of the framework after um, awareness, acceptance, and appreciation is amplification. So changing our behavior, turning up the volume on who we are, looking for opportunities to be even more. So you said you were a class clown. So instead of, ooh, I need to dial that back, the question is, how can I be even more entertaining? How can I be even more funny? How can I be even more silly? Um, I use the example of Jimmy Kimmel. He's a late night talk show host and a comedian. He has his own television show. He's one of the most highly paid um, comedians on earth. And uh, when he was in high school, his 10th grade history teacher told him he'd never amount to anything if he didn't stop screwing around. Um, <laughs> yeah. And uh, he thanked that guy at the White House Correspondence Dinner. <laughs> yeah, look how that worked out. Yeah, he said, I'm about to high five the president of the United States of America. Yeah. And then he came back to the podium and he said, eat it, Mills, uh, which is the name of his his teacher. Yeah. And what I teach people is he got more, he was more successful by going pro at screwing around. Mr. Mills told me you never amount to anything mm-hmm. unless you stop screwing around. He started screwing around for a living. He went pro at screwing around. He got more childish, silly, ridiculous, immature. And that's when he succeeded. He amplified um The next one is alignment. We have to find situations that reward us for who we are instead of punishing us for who we are. Uh, It's Mm. oftentimes the situation that determines whether something's a strength or a weakness or looks like a strength or a weakness. So we talked earlier about being hyperactive. So when I do an Ironman triathlon, um, for those in Canada, it's a 3.8 kilometer swim. It's a uh, 180 kilometer bike and then a 42 kilometer run, a marathon, a 2.4 mile swim. 112 mile bike, uh, 26.2 mile run. Uh, mm-hmm. When I do that, when I finish one of those, nobody calls me hyperactive, right? Nobody wants to give me medicine uh, <laughs> yeah. to help me focus. My whole life, I got criticized and punished by my teachers, my parents, uh, because I couldn't sit still and be quiet. And they called me hyperactive. They called it attention deficit disorder. They told me that something was wrong with me. And then I do, I get even more active, right? I didn't get less active. I didn't dial it back. I get even more active. And then those same people are like, oh, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Good job, Dave. Wonderful. I'm mm-hmm. getting praised and rewarded for the same thing that I used to be criticized and punished for, not because I moderated it, but because I amplified it, because I turned it up, I exaggerated it. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's alignment. When you find the right situation as a speaker, nobody wants me to sit still and be quiet and do what I'm told. They're paying me to stand up there. Teachers would yell at me for being the center of attention. I bet that happened to you when you're being a class clown. They'd yell at me. I guess you just want to be the center of attention. And then I'm literally on stage with a spotlight and I'm the center of attention as a professional <laughs> speaker. Yeah. Um, so they were right. I wanted to be a center of attention. The key was to find that alignment. School wasn't the time for me to do that. It wasn't the place for me to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, And so those are a couple of the strategies. Another one is avoidance, to look for ways to stay away from activities that require our weaknesses. If I'm not very organized, then don't get a job as an office manager. Don't get Mm -hmm. a job as a file clerk. Don't get a job that requires a high level of organization and precision. Um, If I would like to be alone and I don't like to interact with people, then don't get a job that requires you to be with people and interact with them all the time. Stay Mm -hmm. away from those things. It doesn't make you better by trying to fight through that because you have a different strength that you can build on. You don't need to fix that weakness. 
And then the last one is affiliation, partner with people who are strong where we're weak. So um, if I'm not organized, I can hire somebody who is organized. I can partner with somebody who's organized. If I'm in business, um, I can outsource organizational tasks like accounting um, to somebody else um, because I'm not organized and I don't have to be organized. I focus on my strengths and I partner with people who have strengths where I don't. Um, and so those are some of the strategies. I mean, really, you could think about um, using this for parenting. You can use this for how you manage people in the workplace. You can use this in your marriage relationships and in, in romantic relationships. You know, reason that so many relationships break up is because we stop seeing the strengths of our partner and we start seeing the weakness instead. And we don't realize it's the same quality. The same thing that attracted us is starting to repel us because we're seeing that downside and we're not seeing that it's connected to the very thing that, that drew us into that relationship in the first place. Mm-hmm. So if I'm hearing you right, you're not saying, you know, it's not all weakness, weakness, weakness. It's it's kind of learning the dance and, and learning how to use both, like recognizing what your weaknesses are and, and understanding what the corresponding strengths are, and then sort of aligning your life according to those things. Like what, what are the best fits according to your yeah. weaknesses and your strengths? It's not all yeah. about weaknesses. It's not all about like you said, you said one thing about, you know, that wasn't at school, wasn't the place for that. Yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. sometimes maybe we have to be, we have to use a little bit of wisdom and, and recognize that not all environments are the place for us to right. exercise right. See, our weaknesses. Right. So when we talk about things as weaknesses or strengths, when they're not, they're just characteristics, they're neutral characteristics, but we don't have that mm. language. And so there's situations that make it look like a weakness or cause people to see it as a weakness mm -hmm. um, or actually cause it to be a weakness. And there's other situations in which it's a strength in which it's tremendously positive. I mean, think about what you were talking about earlier, that strong will, right? There's environments where a strong will is absolutely essential. And there's other environments where it's going to make your life very, very, very difficult. Right. There's so, places where you do need to conform for lack of a better yeah, word, right? Yeah, I think yeah. too often, as you said, in personal development, um, which is a big goal, I think too often the goal is changing who we are. Mm -hmm. And that's the wrong goal. Right. It's alignment. It's changing where we are. It's finding that, that match, finding yeah. that fit between who we are. And so I think too often the reason we fail in personal development and, and in our in our development of efforts for others, our efforts to develop our children or or help a friend or to help an employee to improve is we're busy trying to change who the person is instead of recognizing the power of situations and trying to help the person find that match mm. between who they are and where they are, that they're not broken, they're not damaged, it's finding the right fit. Um, and that's what really leads to success is not changing who I am independently. It's, it's who I am is fine. It's finding that fit that really draws out the best in who I am. Mm, I love that. So it's more about alignment then. Then yeah. Yeah. Perfect. I love that a lot. Yeah. Do you have any other sort of personal stories for us or a story of someone that you've worked with that you've seen who has, uh, I, I, I have to apologize. Like I didn't realize you were such an author. I, I would have read a book before where one of your books beforehand, but at least talking to you now, I want to go out and grab one of your books. So and I would fine. encourage our listeners to do that as well. Cause it's, yeah. I'm loving what I'm hearing. So yeah, I'll give you an example. <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorites and I use it in my talks. Um, there's a guy named Thorkil Son in uh, Denmark and he, he had a son with autism. And he noticed that two of the symptoms of autism were hyper-focus and doing the same thing over and over again. And so when you go to therapy and you have autism, they're trying to help you not hyper-focus and not do the same thing over and over again, because that's weird. That's not normal. That's not right. That's not what mentally healthy people do. That's not right. what normal people do. 
So Thorkel Son has this going on, but then he goes to work and he works in the software industry and he noticed that's in, in software testing, they need employees who can hyper-focus and do the same thing over and over again. He goes, wait a second. My son knows how to hyper-focus and do the same thing over and over again. Other people with autism know how to hyper-focus and do the same thing over and over again. <laughs> we can't get normal people to hyper-focus and do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, they're they don't want to do it. that, right? Yeah. They're, they're bad at it. We have to fight with them all the time. Yeah. So he didn't just, he didn't just find the right fit. He created the right fit. So mm -hmm. he started a business called Specialist Stern. It means the specialists in Danish. And they hired 50 people with autism to do software testing. Um, and they take the person and they find the right place, right? They don't change who they are. They change where they are. And the person's disability goes from being a disability to being a hyper ability. It goes from being a disadvantage to being a competitive advantage because he didn't just find the right situation. He created the right situation. He found the strength hmm. that went with the weakness. And here's what's interesting in that case. It was the same thing, right? What's the kid's problem? He hyper focuses. He does the same thing over and over again. All right, perfect. I'm going to bring him over here and have him hyper focus and do the same thing over and over again. And so that's a great example of how is it a strength or is it a weakness? It just is. But oftentimes, and that's why it's called the freak factor, we define uniqueness as weakness. We define being different as a problem. And so we've decided that someone with autism is broken instead of someone with autism is just different. And in the right situation, they're not only just as good as anybody else, they're maybe even better than other people who don't have autism. And so that's a great example of not just finding alignment or stumbling across it, but a parent taking it on themselves to create the right fit for their son um, who has a disability. And now he's gone on to become basically a global activist for neurodiversity and for hiring and promotion and acceptance and appreciation of people with autism where he travels around the whole world. SAP, the global software company is now looking for hundreds of people with autism from all over the world to do software testing for them. So mm -hmm. he's trying to change the conversation from people with autism are broken and need therapy and need to be fixed and need mental health services and need support to people with autism are fantastic and in the right situations can be better than quote unquote normal people are. I should have asked you this off the top, but how did you come up with the freak factor? Did this come yeah. about as a result of your research or a personal realization, yeah. a way of healing yourself? Or yeah. what? No, that's exactly what it was, was a personal realization followed by some research. I mean, it was just yeah. realizing that, wait a second, I've spent my whole life trying to sit still, be quiet and do what I'm told. But when I stand up, people like it. When I talk, people like it. When I take charge, people follow. Hmm. Uh, when I take charge, it works. My ideas are effective. My ideas are um, insightful. My ideas get results. Um, I shouldn't do what other people want me to do. I don't need to follow their advice or their orders. Um, I don't need to sit still. I can be active. Seeing the success I was having with long distance racing and then long distance endurance triathlons. Wait a second. It's not a problem that I'm hyper. I just need a life where I'm not required to sit still all day and sit in an office and sit in a school. Mm -hmm. And so it started with that personal realization. And then that first story with Todd Crandall that I told, and then they just started flooding in these examples of dyslexia, these examples of autism, examples of people with ADHD. There's a guy named Peter Shankman who just wrote a book called Faster Than Normal. And it's about how it's awesome to have ADHD and it makes your life better. And here's all the ways to succeed because of your ADHD, uh, not in spite of it. 
And mm. so I just started getting really excited about it. And, and I knew the power that discovering this, that acceptance, that appreciation, that amplification, that alignment had on my life. And so I tried to put it into a format where it could help other people, help parents, help managers, help people to have better marriages and relationships. I wish I would have known it sooner. And so I'm just on a mission to share it with as many people as possible. But it started as a personal realization. Uh, but then again, if it's just true for me, like I said earlier, it doesn't really matter. So I started realizing, wow, this is true for everybody. Created mm -hmm. the assessment so people can see specifically how it's true for them. Um, and then and then uh, wrote the book. And then that's what I speak about. I did 117 presentations this year. And probably a hundred of them were about the freak factor. I mean, it's something that people really it just really resonates with people on yeah. so many different levels, whether they're a parent or a teacher, that's another environment, you know, education. I speak to teachers. I speak directly to the students. Mm -hmm. um, it's, it's a, it has a huge impact in those environments because school can be a really difficult place for the teachers and for the students. Mm -hmm. That's awesome. I could see how it, that you must be helping a lot of people. I can see a lot of people sitting in the audience and going, Oh, I'm okay. It's okay to be this way yeah. to, to have what's I had to have this weakness. <laughs> this is, this is all okay. Finally, someone's telling me I'm, I'm all right. It's okay to be this way. And yeah. And not in some superficial way either, yeah, but like with yeah. no substance, like, like, yeah, not like not, an Instagram meme. Yeah. Right? But, but <laughs> yeah. yeah. In that, in that, in, in a, in a real way, you're okay. Um, I, I love your focus on acceptance from earlier and what you're just talking about now, like affirming mm -hmm. who people are. I spoke at this place in Houston called the joy school and the joy school exists to help people with ADHD, dyslexia, autism, who aren't, who are struggling and aren't getting the help they need in a regular school. And uh, so they go to the Joy School and the Joy School uh, gives them strategies to succeed in school that they can then take back. So they come to the Joy School for a year or two years or three years, but then they go back to the traditional school system and they can succeed because they have the tools and resources they need. And so I was like, wow, you know, I was speaking there and they, gave, they were giving me a tour and I said, okay, um, you know, give me the trick. Like when a kid has, you know, this learning disability and they struggle with math, like what do you do that like flips the switch for them. What's the strategy? What's one of the tricks? What's one of the things that they're not getting in regular school that you do? And the lady goes, basically comes down to acceptance. Hmm. We just teach them that they're not broken. They're not damaged. They're just different. Hmm. There's nothing wrong with them and that we accept them for who they are. And we're going to help them find a way to learn on their terms, not on everybody else's terms. It's not about fixing a broken person. It's about helping a unique person find their unique strengths and build on them. And I was like, well, that's what I talk about. That's, <laughs> but I thought there was some technical, specific, you know, precise yeah. learning strategy, some educational psychology that I wasn't aware of. And it was mm -hmm. like, oh, no, we just accept people as humans and, and don't try to tell them, don't try to shame them into conformity and don't try to convince them that they're broken because they don't fit our system. Mm -hmm. um, and I was like, oh, you know, wow, that's it just so and that made me even more inspired to talk about what I talk about because uh, I realized it's even more powerful. And I think in an educational context like that, I thought there had to be some trick or some strategy or some tip or some, you know, <laughs> unique approach that just wasn't being used. And it was like, no, we just accept the kids for who they are and, and appreciate them and, and help them be themselves and, and build on the unique strengths and perspective that they have. And I was like, wow, you know, here we go. And so I was, I was happy to be able to speak at an event like that and speak to people who are doing that kind of great work and affirm what they're doing uh, because they're doing great work. 
Isn't it interesting that the name of their school is that they're the school of joy and that's yeah. their approach is just accepting yeah. people and, not, yeah. and helping them not to feel bad about yeah. whatever. Yeah. yeah. I mean, as you're talking, I'm thinking how many people like, sort of like myself, like I wasn't awful at math. I was maybe a C plus type of math person, but grew up maybe thinking I was a little bit dumb because I'm not great at math, but I'm okay in English. And I know there's people that are, you know, have the, are balanced in different sorts of ways, right? There's people that are good with words and people that are maybe yeah. better at math or whatever. That's so. one of the difficulties about school. We're so obsessed yeah. with well-balanced and well-rounded that if you're not good at everything, they want to focus on what you're not good at. Whereas mm. in real life, if you're good at English, that's all you really need to be good at. And you can use a calculator yeah. and you can hire an accountant and you can partner up with somebody who has those skills. Most daily math that anybody needs to do isn't really beyond something you learned in third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. um, and so uh, that's one of the things that I think is really crucial is that showing people that there's a different way in adulthood than sort of what we've been taught growing up. And that can be a hard thing because we, we think it must be true because we got taught that, that, that same thing for so long. Mm -hmm. Cool. So that's a good place to finish up with, but I just, I'm wondering if there's anything else you wanted to share with us. Um, no, I think that's it. I mean, one of the ways I summarize it in my talks is uh, there's a quote by E.E. E. Cummings who said, we do not believe in ourselves until someone reveals that deep inside of us, something is valuable. Mm. worth listening to, worthy of our trust, sacred to our touch. And so the freak factor is all about showing people that deep inside of them, something is valuable. Very often the thing that they've been told is the most worthless thing about them, right? Their biggest weakness that it's worth listening to, that it's worthy of our trust, sacred to our touch. And uh, that's the message that I love sharing with the world. And I hope it helps your listeners to have a better life, better relationships, uh, better, uh, better relationships with their spouse or their partner or their children, better uh, relationships with their employees um, or, or just a better career, um, or just personal fulfillment. I think there's so many ways that it can change someone's life to see that, like you said, to accept who they are and to really appreciate who they are. Mm, excellent. So what's up for you? What's the next, uh, are, is there anything that people can access that's uh, coming up an event? Uh, or sure. Something? Yeah, actually it'll be coming online here pretty soon. I'm traveling to Switzerland next week to do TEDx Zurich. So I'll be doing a short version of the freak factor. Uh, the key point will be that in the right situation, our weaknesses become strengths. So it's just a 10 minute uh, TEDx talk, but the video um, will probably be up live somewhere in early December. Uh, people can keep an eye out for that. I did one earlier this year. So if people go to my website, drendel.com, uh, they can see the video of the freak factor for kids. The whole book is there in video format. Um, there's mm. my keynote video is there, but that's coming up. And then, um, uh, most of the things I do are like for clients or for associations or things like that. But if um, people um, keep an eye on my website, the, it's got a calendar saying where I am. If somebody lives in an area where I'm speaking, if they want to send me an email, usually I can have a guest or have somebody sit in the back of the room, happy <laughs> to meet up with someone for coffee or something like that. Um, okay. So that's an option as well. But it's this is the slower time of year as we get into the holidays in America. We've got Thanksgiving then leading into Christmas. So between Thanksgiving and Christmas, things really slow down in the speaking and training business. So I've got the TEDx Zurich and then I've got a talk in uh, Minneapolis, which is a terrible place to go in December. Um, <laughs> and then it's basically the holiday season for three or four weeks. And then I have some, uh, some talks that's kick off right in the second week of uh, January up in Massachusetts and then down in Dallas and then the next week in Kansas city. Okay, good. 
Well, we'll put links to all of that on our, on our website. I'll keep an eye open for the TEDx or the, is it, is TEDx? It's not TEDx. Uh, Zurich. Yep. TEDx, TEDx yeah. Zurich. Okay. Yep. So, yeah. And if you think of it, send us a link. That'd be, that'd be great. Yeah. Um, and then as I mentioned too, um, David is an author. He's got four books out. The four factors of effective leadership, the freak factor, the freak factor for kids and pink goldfish. What's what's pink goldfish about? <laughs> pink goldfish is the freak factor for marketing and strategy. So it shows companies how they can use their weaknesses to succeed, um, how they don't have to be perfect, how they can use their flaws. In fact, you're in Canada. Uh, one of our best examples is Buckley's cough syrup. It tastes terrible. <laughs> and instead of trying to say it doesn't taste very bad or we'll make it taste better, they go, it tastes worse than you can possibly imagine. Um, and it tastes awful because it works. Yeah. Um, and so uh, they brag about something that seems like an obvious flaw. They're proud of it. They're unashamed. And they even exaggerate it. They do a commercial where they compare it to trash bag leakage and people in a blind taste test prefer trash bag leakage to Buckley's. Um, <laughs> so we use examples like that that are fun and interesting that show people how their business doesn't have to be perfect. In fact, oftentimes the best way to stand out um, is by doing the opposite of what everybody else is doing and, and, and flaunting or exaggerating a weakness instead of trying to be perfect and well-balanced and well-rounded. Mm. So in case you missed it, Dave, David's uh, website is drendall, it's D-R-E-N-D-A-L-L.com. And we'll also have all of this in our show notes on fuelradio.com. If you're listening on iTunes or some other platform, SoundCloud, you can check us out there as well. So yeah, thanks again, David. This was great to spend some time with you. I appreciate you taking the time to talk to us today. Yeah, I'm glad it worked out. You've been listening to Fuel Radio.